0: I forgot I muted myself earlier because I could hear myself coming through the speaker. So (laughs) good morning. (laughs) Uh, You know, I was a little worried this morning. or I wasn't really looking forward to wearing a mask and singing, but it really wasn't that bad. So I'm glad. Hopefully it wasn't too bad for you either. Um, But I'm I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we go through our journey on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, before we get started, I wanted to confess something to you from last week. I wasn't here. I had a few minor symptoms kind of crop up that worried me a little bit, you know, back before the weekend started. And so out of, out of an overabundance of caution, I decided to stay home. And um, so I, I did my my full quarantine at home and worked from home all week. I felt, felt fine, but I, but I was at home. Uh, but I, I bring that up to tell you because I was home last week during service. And so that was the first time I've actually got to be at church with my wife since, you know, March, because she's been staying home and I've been up here. Um, so we got to do a a shallow service together, and it was so good. I enjoyed it so much. So I know some of you who are online right now, you know, you've been, you've been doing that since, uh, I guess, what has it been, four months now or something? I, I don't know. It's been quite a while. You're probably very tired of it. Maybe some of you, you've got two devices and you're in separate rooms right now or something, but, but we're going to be talking about marriage today and, and, and digging into that here in a minute. And so if you haven't been with us in the past few weeks, uh, we've decided uh, to take a Take 10 weeks to go through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so I guess this this puts us at week six, I think. And so today we're going to be talking about the passage that uh, was read earlier on uh, adultery. And the goal of this sermon series is for us to let go of, of our perspective, our way of looking at the world. And so whatever that is defined by, whether that's how you uh, may have grown up, you know, and some, some of the things you learned growing up or your political affiliations or the voices that you listen to that, that help to shape your perspective, how you think and see things in the world. And instead, we want to look at the Sermon on the Mount, take time to go through it, consider the teachings that Jesus gives us and how that shapes uh, the way we we see the world. Um, and so, as Mike mentioned last week, um, each, each sermon is going to build on itself because this is all part of, of one whole sermon that we're exploring just a piece at a time. Uh, and so, you'll, you'll notice that each sermon will tie in with the one before it. And so, in the last two sermons, we've talked a lot about, Gary talked about lines, and so one of the things he talked about, he's, he talked about how lines make us comfortable. This is one of the things that I remember um, from his sermon, but he also talked about how those lines, they create tension. And so this is where he was talking about, you know, where, where Jesus is, is saying, uh, talking about the fulfillment of the law. You know, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill it, and he preached on that. I mean if you heard Mike's sermon last week, you know he talked about' the, it's, the relationships are what important what are important, not necessarily just the rules. And he started talking about what the what the rules lead us to, and they they point us towards Jesus and they point us towards uh, having our hearts shaped in different ways. And so what what Gary Mike and I are going to be all trying to move toward during the month of July uh, is digging deeper into this human tendency to find comfort and to cling to different rules and laws and and because we do that, we, we you know we miss we miss the bigger picture of what's going on, um, and, and and again th- those rules they're they're comfortable we like them because they're practical they're black and white, you know th- those those rules they make sense, um, but but I think Jesus wants us to dig a little bit deeper uh, into what the law is for and what it means for our lives in this section, and so this week on a I guess it was Tuesday night I met with uh, three good friends two of them are here this morning Meredith. Meredith Sellers and Kenzie Jeffers, if you if you haven't met them, they're lovely ladies over here. Yeah, give them a hand. Bert says to give them a hand over there. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> and Haley Edge is with us, too. But we're getting together once a week to memorize a Sermon on the Mount together. I know that's the challenge that's been put out there to all of you. And so I hope some of you are, are trying to do that. I know it's a big task and it's very challenging. Uh, but we've really enjoyed the time together. We've been getting together on Tuesday nights and we've been spending about an hour and a half together where we're just asking difficult questions of each other about the passage and exploring what it means and so we've got the first section memorized we're working on the second right now Uh, but one of the things that we talked about this last week when we came to that fulfillment of the law passage is we noticed that you know Jesus mentions he's not going to abolish the law or the prophets he came to fulfill it and talks through that whole section and then after that he lists six different commandments that are in the law uh, and then he kind of goes on to, to add to those and embellish those. So, you know, last week we looked at, you know, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you know, do not murder. And anyone who murders, they'll be subject to judgment. And then he says, but I tell you. And then he goes on, you know, to, to explore that further. Uh, and then the one we're going to look at today, you know, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, and he says, anyone who divorces his wife, they, they must give her a certificate of divorce. That's an old commandment. But I tell you and then uh, ne- the next few weeks we're going to be looking at you know, do not break your oath but fulfill to the Lord your vows but Jesus says but I tell you and then then in our last last lesson in, in July we're going to talk about eye for eye and tooth for tooth is one of the commands and uh, you've heard that it was said uh, to uh, love your neighbor and to hate your enemy but Jesus says but I tell you so, so I wanted to show you this framework that we're working in right now um, that that there's this kind of this flow going on in the sermon, and We're right here in the middle of it, where Jesus is taking this idea and he's going to talk about adultery and lust um, and divorce. And So that's kind of the larger context and the larger uh, framework of this lesson. So uh, before we get into adultery and divorce, I want to talk more and, and bring some clarity around uh, this section of the Sermon on the Mount, where we're talking about these lines and rules, uh, the, these, these laws, as Jesus calls them. And so one of the things, when we, if we focus on the rules long enough and hard enough, if that's, if that's all we really look at, we, we kind of find ourselves in a strange place. And Noel Bethay, he did our communion thought last week, and I, I believe, and I remember him saying something uh, to sort of address that. So communion can kind of take that, that role in a way, where we cling to this idea that we just do it once a week, and, and it can become, become ritualistic, right, and it just becomes about doing it. And as time goes on, it, it starts to lose some of its meaning to us. I, th- I think every one of us in this room, even if you do a good, feel like you do good with communion every week, you've you felt those times in your life where after you've done it, you know, so many times over and over again, it, it becomes difficult to, you know, c- to continue to have a meaningful experience in communion. And, and, and Noel spoke to that. And so, um, you know, we, we set up all these different laws and these things that we do, but after the years go by we're forced to kind of wrestle with them again and 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 we have to get back to the heart of why that that rule or that law is even there. Um, and so the the challenge doesn't isn't really you know are we taking communion just on the surface, you know, but the new challenge is does communion matter to me each week? Is this is this meaningful to me and is is the why there? Um, And so there's this tension between between the rules and the laws that I believe uh, that Jesus is speaking into in this passage. So on, on one hand, you know, rules bring clarity, uh, they bring consistency and comfort to our life, right? and so we, we like that. Uh, but then on, on the other hand, rules can also lead to apathy and and detachment and lack of direction, right? If, that, if that's all you see, if you miss the bigger picture of what the the rule or the law is there for. And so we struggle with this tension in our faith and in every aspect of our lives. And so I think this is where we find ourselves, it's caught between these two things a lot of times. Um, but it's within this tension that Jesus is speaking uh, this, this commandment, and then he's gonna go on and talk more about it. Uh, this command that you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, uh, but I tell you. Uh, and so we're, we're gonna see that what Jesus actually has to say about this commandment is really, really challenging and really, really strange on the surface. You know, this is one of those passages where I, reading it literally is a little bit difficult. Um, and I think it's because Jesus is inviting us to look beyond just what the commandment says on the surface, just what the rules and the laws have to say, because it's about something more. You know, it's a, like Mike said last week, it's about the relationship, um, it's about the heart, uh, it's about our personal transformation. And so um, I, I believe that Jesus is, he sees that deeper message, he sees that there's this what, you know, there's this, this line or this rule or this law that we cling to, there's this what. Jesus, Jesus understands the why, he understands the heart that's behind that, that law. And I think that he wants to invite us into that as well, he, he wants to invite us into that deeper uh, transformation. And so the question that I think each of us has to ask ourselves when, we, when we're reading passages like this is that, do, do we see the why, you know, to our what? And that may seem like a strange place to start right now, but we're going to kind of explore this idea as we keep going. But, but do we understand why we do you know, what we do? Do we, do we understand why we define things the way we define them or want them to be? And so in the greater context of our, our sermon series, it's about taking off and removing our perspective to, to understand God's perspective and Jesus. So let's look at our passage today. Uh, so, So Jesus says that you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose that one body part than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better that you lose that one body part than your whole body. Be thrown into hell. So this this is a good. I can use the slogan of the sermon series. You know, say what Jesus? You know this this is a this is a strange teaching right here. First of all, I I find the first part of it it could be a little bit offensive or or trite to some of you um, because in, in that first that first verse there, Jesus equates adultery and lust in a sense. And. Now, I, I've never personally experienced adultery, you know, done to me in my life. But, I, but I've heard people talk about it. I've seen it in, in relationships around me. Um, and, and some of you in the room have probably experienced, some of you listening online, you, you've, you've experienced adultery in your, in your own life or in someone in your family's. And you know how it, it, it hurts and tears things apart. It's, it's not, for Jesus to be able to say that lust and adultery and to put these up, you know, equal to each other, I, I think that seems strange to me. In a lot of ways, now, now I get it at the at, at the bottom of it all; it's, it's all sin, sure. But but on the surface, it's not just all the same thing. And and Mike even spoke to this a little bit last week, talking about how the matters of the of, of the law some are weightier than others. right? Jesus emphasizes some things that we need to pay a little more attention to um, than others. And so, so how could Jesus equate these two things? Um, so again, I, I think if, if here if we're just focusing on the rules of what's okay and what's not okay, we're going to miss something important within this. Because we have a tendency to read the scripture that way, that like, okay, well, we know there's the command of don't commit adultery, and then come over here, and there's a command of don't lust. So there's just two commands. It's just two rules to follow. And if Jesus' point is just to literally that those are the two commands to follow, I don't have much to say up here, because I can, I mean, you know you should commit adultery. That's that's brokenness that, that causes hurt for different people. it breaks your 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 uh, covenant with God with him uh, and so I, I think there's got to be got to be more here um, and we, we can even talk about and Gary's talked about this too uh, building into this whole sermon series that a lot of people read the Sermon on the Mount as just a challenge that's so great it's something that we can't we can't accomplish so it, it just teaches us to rely on jesus' grace but but again, I think there's something more than that, that because Jesus' teachings, they're always meant to transform me. They're always meant to change me, right? They're they're meant to call me to be someone different and better than I am currently. And so in several places in the Sermon on the Mount, something that's really interesting, and and I think Jesus wants you to have some of these things in your mind when you come to the Sermon on the Mount and read it, is you'll notice other images from other passages in the Bible popping up in the Sermon on the Mount. So for example, last week we looked at uh, murder, right, and anger. And there's a, lot, so it's, there's a lot of examples in there that remind me of the Cain and Abel story. I don't know if anyone else thinks that way, but it's a section about murder. And he talks about leaving your gift at the altar and going and making things right with your brother. And so in, in my mind, that's just, every time I read it, I can't help but think Cain and Abel. So there's kind of a similar thing going on here for me with, um, with the, this, this passage on adultery and lust. There's some imagery here that reminds me of another story uh, back in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, it's the story uh, where Adam and Eve and the serpent are in the garden, and she takes of the fruit. And you, you, some of you have heard me talk about this some before, but I, I can't get away from reading the story this way because it just all lines up. So, so a quick refresher on that, that story back in Genesis 3, uh, where the, the background is that God plants this beautiful garden in this land called Eden. And he creates humans and, and he puts them there and he, he blesses them. He wants them to take care of it. And there's one other thing he does uh, that's pretty significant to the story we're going to talk about. He takes a tree and he plants it right in the middle of the garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he commands them. He says, all right, you're, you're good to eat any tree in the garden. You can, you can eat from any of the, of the trees, plants in the garden, but that tree, you can't touch it. If you touch it, don't go near it, you're you're going to die. So we take that background and we come into Genesis 3 into that story, into into the story. And so Eve, you know, she's hanging out close to the tree one day, and uh, she runs into the the serpent. And the serpent asks a very accusing question. He says, uh, he says, Eve, did, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Eve responds appropriately. She says, no, God didn't say that we can't eat from any tree in the garden. He just said that we can't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. He said, if we do, we're going to die. The serpent says, no, 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 you you won't die. God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because because he knows that you'll gain wisdom. You'll, You'll know the difference between good and evil. You'll become like God. And so then the Bible says something that's really important here. It says, so Eve sees that the fruit is good that it's good for food, that it's pleasing to the eye, it's desirable for gaining knowledge and wisdom, and so she takes and eats of it. And then she gives some to her husband who's there with her, and he eats some. And then at that moment, when they, when they take of the fruit, the next thing the Bible tells us is that their eyes were opened. Right. So there's this, this focus on their eyes and vision. And then from there, you know the rest of the story, they're cast out. Of the garden because of their sin. And so when we go back to Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth between these here. We start seeing the same imagery popping up in that story that we see in Genesis 3, right? So Jesus said, what is Jesus' main thing? He's talking about your eye here. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's getting back down to that deeper core of how we see things. And then what are the two, two body parts he talks about cutting off and throwing away. Talks about gouging out your eye and throwing it away. And Eve, her, it all starts with that way, with the way she sees it. And then he talks about the hand, cut it off and throw it away. And what did Eve do? She reached out and she took. You know, and that's, that's where the mistake went. And then in both stories, he, he talks about being thrown out, thrown into hell, thrown out of the garden. So there, there's these overlaps between these two that, that I see, and it, and it gets even deeper than that as we keep talking about it. So one subtlety that's in that Genesis story that a lot of people overlook has to do with seeing. We've we've already been talking about seeing for a while now. And when you go back to the creation story, talk about God creating the earth, a lot of people recount it and talk about, you know, God made the world and he said that it was good. And for the most part, you'd be right. But God didn't say that the earth was good and, and the heavens and the earth when he created them. He saw that they were good. And, you know, you say, potato, potato, what's the difference? You know, that's not that big of a deal. But when we come to Genesis 3 and Eve sees that something is good, then it becomes significant. Because I, I believe that there's a connection that the, the authors of the Bible that God wants us to see in this. Uh, because up to, this, up to the point of Genesis 3, God is the only one who has seen anything as good in the Bible. He created the world. He created the heavens and the earth, and he saw that it was good. And he even planted that tree right there in the middle of the garden, and he saw that it was good, which I think is something that we need to stop and ponder for a moment, uh, because most of us kind of make an assumption that all the trees were good except for that one. But God made his creation good. Now, he might have made that tree good for a purpose that was a little different than what we thought. You know, we think only trees that feed us are good, but, but God put this tree there for a reason. It was good. And so the reason we've got to talk about that is because then we get to Eve, and she sees that it's good, but she sees that it's good in, in her own way, in the way that she wants to use it. So, so she sees that it's good for, for gaining her own knowledge and wisdom, and she's not going to rely on God's knowledge and wisdom anymore. She's just going to rely on her own. That's what's good about this tree. And this, this is a message that I probably talk about too much, but it's so important to me, especially in this time and culture. We talk about... Um, how, how people are so autonomous. You know, every, everyone has their own opinion and their own idea of the way things ought to be and we have a hard time agreeing with one another nowadays and, you know, tolerance is the thing that people talk about. This is this is a scripture about seeing it as good in your own mind and how you hold to your values and hold to your ideas and, and a lot of times to the detriment of holding on to God's. So that's what Eve does in this story. And so again, we see these connections between these two stories and um, where Eve sees sees a good tree, but she sees it good in her own way. She sees it good in her own mind. And so here's the next question, and this is where we really start getting into the adultery and lust part. And this is what I think Jesus is getting at when he talks about lust. Uh, when, when we when we so for men, and Jesus is really digging into the men in this passage, and I, I think a big reason why is because when it comes to lust and uh, sexual sins, men have typically been the ones who have, have used uh, those things to, to overpower women, right? And, to, and who have abused that with them, historically speaking. And so I think, I think that's why Jesus is, is really hitting them hard, hard with this. And so when we're, when we're talking to the men in the room about this, right? When you look at women, I mean, one question to ask is, do you see them as good? They're, they're made good. They're made beautiful in God's image. We ask, ask women the same question about men. They're, they're, the, they're, they're supposed to be the Imago Dei, and we're not all perfect in here. But we're made in God's image. We're made beautiful. We're made good. So that's one question to ask. And most of us would probably say yes. And we, we see them as good. But then the more difficult question to ask is, do we see them as good? Is our perspective the same as God's perspective? Do we see them as good and define them as good as the, as the same way that God does? And this gets into the root of what, what lust is really about. A lot of people think of lust as just, you know, it's simple. They're just dirty thoughts. But it's deeper than that. It's more than that. Lust is, lust is when I look at another person and I covet them. I, I want to use them for my own good purposes, right? I mean, that's what you're, that's what you're essentially doing. When, when I think of lust, I don't think of any kind of good in it. It's just, it's just implying that I, I want to take and use in a way that's good for me. And, and maybe I can do that in a decent manner or a decent way, but the root of it is the, is the selfishness that's in my heart. And so Jesus, he's, he's talking about a look. He's talking about a straying eye. And, and I think the reason that he's, he's talking about how you see women is because uh, the Bible's way of talking about the eyes and, and seeing is its way of talking about our perspective the way that we view and understand things. And, and it's so important to talk about our perspective because our perspective is what shapes our actions and our beliefs and our thoughts and everything else about who we are and how we behave and live. And so I think what Jesus is doing right here, it's not, we're not supposed to just stick to just the rules, oh, you shouldn't lust, you shouldn't divorce. He's asking us to go deeper than that. He's asking us to de- dig deep into our own hearts about our own perspective. He teaches us this in, in another story. In the book of Matthew, that I want to talk through very quickly. There, there's another story that talks about the definition of good. And so it reminds me again of these passages. It's from Matthew 19. There's this rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. It's what we all want. Right? And Jesus responds with kind of a strange question. He says, well, Why do you ask me what is good? And then he goes on to say, keep the commandments, you know, honor your father and mother, you know, he's the, you know, give to the poor, he's a rich man, you know, whatever, all, all, all these listed, the long com- list of commandments that they had back then. And so I, th- I think the rich young ruler was able to respond to that in a way that none of us would be able to in this room, he's actually able to say, I've kept all the rules, I've kept all the commandments, I've stayed within the boundaries, I've, I've, I've done everything. I think a lot of us, again, we we love to cling to rules and think in terms of of the lines. And so we we often read this passage and say, oh, but he forgot one commandment. I I don't think that he kept all of them. He says all of that. And Jesus doesn't say he didn't keep them. He just said, hey, there's one thing you lack. Go sell all of your possessions. That, That wasn't one of the commandments. Sell all of your possessions, give to the poor, and then come follow me. So Jesus is asking for a lot more than just commandments and rules and laws in this passage. He's asking this man to totally let go of who he, who he is and his identity. He's the rich young ruler. That's his title. That's who he is. And Jesus is asking him to throw that completely away in order to cling to him, to, to cling to God's good, to God's law, to Jesus, and to be transformed into his image and who he is. And so that, that right there should make us uncomfortable. That's, that's where Jesus really digs into our hearts because we get comfortable with who we are. We get comfortable uh, with our idea of the, of, of the lines and the boundaries, the rules, how they work for us, uh, who we portray ourselves as, the mask that we wear. And Jesus is asking us for more than that. He's asking us to go beyond that and dig deep into our hearts. And so th- this is an everyday challenge for me. This is a lifelong challenge, right? This is, this is not something that any of us figure out and arrive at. Jesus is asking us for daily transformation in our lives where we are digging deep into who we are. And we are changing those things deep within ourselves, the way that we see the world, so that we see it like Jesus sees it. And that, that's the core. You've, you've got to change your perspective if you want to change how you act or how you behave. You've got to change what's what's deeper in your heart, and so when it comes to to lust and marriage, we have to ask ourselves when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to if you're if you're dating, and, uh, and when it comes to dating someone else, what you have to ask yourself what what do we define as good, and why do we define it as good? Um, so we've done all this legwork on the background, you know, to looking at the Bible and how these passages all connect to one another. And so now I want to to just talk about it in the here and now, when it comes to our marriages today. Uh, And when we talk about this, I want to be careful because I can't redefine the rules for you, necessarily. I can't redefine exactly how your marriage ought to look just draw it all out for you, right? Neat and cookie cutter. Uh, but I can't invite you into that deeper conversation of, of why your marriage works the way it does. And I think that's a conversation all of us should have. And it, it's something that I've already noticed. I, I haven't even been married a year yet, I'm getting close. Uh, but it's something that I've noticed in my own marriage. Carrie and I are already getting you know, comfortable with, well, this is just the way we do it. It may, not, it may not be all great and good. We may be able to do better, but we just get comfortable. And so we just keep doing it the way it is. We haven't even been married a year yet. So I can't imagine you know, if you'd do 40 or 50 years, what it looks like at that point. But going back to that idea of lust, men men and women use each other in ways that aren't good, and and we just go along with it, and we don't we don't think about the root of it. So, for example, just just something to throw out there to think about. Uh, men, I've seen men and the way they talk about the, their wives that they'll use women to garner respect for themselves. Now they might do this in a lot of different ways, so the lines and boundaries may be really different, you know. That this is where it gets uncomfortable because uh, some of them might push their wife to be a traditional stay-at-home mom. There's probably some of you in this room who that's, that's the way your marriage works, and that's good. Um, and some of you might do the opposite. You might really push for your wife to work and climb the corporate ladder. And, it, and here's the thing. The problem isn't the way it looks on the surface. The problem is the why that's in your heart. What, why is it that way? Have you guys decided on that as a, as a good mutual thing for the two of you? Or, or is this something that is self-serving to you in some way? Because for some men, I can, I can hear it in their voice. When they talk about their wife that stays at home, that, that they really, deep down inside, they like for their wife to stay home because they like for their wife to be dependent on them. And it feels, it feels good to them, right? And it's a, there's this deeper why that, that's, that's self-serving. God didn't make women to be good in that way, right? God has his intention for what we are all supposed to be. As humans, and so it's it's about questioning that motive that's deeper within us. Um, and and men also, you know, they use women for sex, and this is this is what this passage is about. It's about uh, lust and adultery, and men use them uh, in that way. And I've heard men say this over and over again. and Sorry to pick on some of you guys. Some of you may say this, but like like it's a need. You know, sex is it's something I have to have. I can't. And she's, she's the only one who, sh- who can give it to me. So in a way, they, it, it becomes a form of disrespect uh, to their wives, you know, in a sense, that, that she owes it to me because I need it. And I just have to step back and say something. I understand there's strong drives and desires out there and things that, things that you want, but I, I can't agree that it's a need. That might be a little strong of a word there. You know, if I go without oxygen for a while or if I go without water or if I go without food for too long that's a need. I'm going to die. Um, but, but if you go without that, that thing in your life, you can, you can be celibate your entire life. And you will not die. You will be okay. There's lots of men who have done it. it it's not a need. But, but oftentimes, I think I've heard people say that, and, and what I hear, and maybe I'm mishearing them, but what I hear is this, this, this need to, to feel something inside of me, this, this selfish desire to fulfill something that I want. And I have. And and when we get in that mode, we forget to listen to the other person. We forget to listen to God. Uh, We forget to define things as good, as he sees them as good. And so when we look at our wives, we need to see them as good the way that he intended them to be as good, as, as servants of him, as people who are to glorify him in the things that they do. And that is extremely challenging and extremely uncomfortable for us to let go of the things that define us, that make us comfortable, Uh, The rules and the laws that we have clung to and decided that these are good for us. That can be really hard to let go of. Now, I'm probably going to be a lot harder on the men than the women because I am one. But I know that women do some of the same things to their husbands. I mean, And and I can almost speak a little bit from just being on the other side of that. um, From watching others' relationships and uh, being in different relationships myself. You know, I've, I've seen women use men for security in ways that uh, on the surface it doesn't appear to be good. And again, I'm not going to tell you how you need to draw your lines and how everything needs to work out. But I will say you do need to look deeper into and, and the why and to the motive within all of that. So ladies, if you use your men for security, you know, I've, I've seen, um, you know, dynamics and relationships where something will happen and the man... That's kind of his department where he fixes it, but the, but the wife just kind of sits there and watches because that's not what I do, you know, and, and, and I feel like there's this sense there of entitlement, like, well, that's him, and he's going to protect me, and I'm going I'm to sit over here, but I, I don't know that she's really looking out and listening to him, or if she's, she's really, men sometimes aren't allowed to be emotional, right? They're not allowed, allowed to really share what's on their heart if something very difficult happens. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about um, how men aren't allowed to be vulnerable, even within their marriages sometimes, because uh, even their wives have drawn these lines and these expectations that they can't be. And for all of us, and I can, even speaking as a man myself, there are times in my life where I just got to let it out. You know, I'll be vulnerable with you right now. You know, my, my grandfather's uh, going through cancer treatments right now, and he's he's getting older. And what he's got right now isn't um, as easily fixed as as. He's had cancer before, and before he was, you know, there were much better chances for him than there are this time, and that is hard for me. And that's that's something that's very hard for me to 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 talk about with anyone. Um, but certainly, you know, if Carrie were to take the take the stance that like, oh, you're you're a man, I, you know, you have got to be strong in this. That honestly probably wouldn't be very good for me. I, I need to be able to to talk with someone about that and let that out because it's very. Very hard. My my papa is one of my favorite people in the world. Um, and then for the record, women can use sex too. I know I've definitely heard men talk about how they feel like it's like going to the slot machine where you're putting you know coins in and you never know when it's going to pop out, and it's it's kind of a game that we play. And it's what is that? What's the, what's the why in that? You know, I get I get that the lines and boundaries are drawn a certain way, but what's 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 really in your heart um, when you when you're choosing. To decide on this together as a couple. So These kind of, these kind of problems, they're, they're pervasive in our culture. They're systematic. This, is, this isn't a simple um, kind of solution to anything, but I think Jesus is certainly inviting us to look deeper into our own hearts about the way we define things as good, uh, the way that we see things. He wants us to take off our own glasses the way that we've always seen things, and that can be hard because we, we want to hold on to that stuff. Because that's the way it's always been. That's what makes us comfortable. That's what we like. But if we truly trust Jesus, I I fully believe that it's not going to be about letting go of your values and letting go of God and letting go of his good. That's not what this is about. It's about letting go of our ideas of good so that we can accept what God uh, has for us. And so the question is, what's your identity when it comes to relationships? How do you see it? How does your spouse see it? How does God see it? Do these things line up? Yeah, because how how you see it and your spouse sees it, it's not the point. The point is the relationship. And so I hope that that sometime during this week, maybe today, that you can you can have conversations with your spouse where you are really listening, um, and you are you are understanding how you guys have defined your relationship together. And things change over the years. Even I, I, when I started working on this, I started thinking maybe this is more of a thing for young guys, but I've talked to a lot, of, a lot of older men and women who, I think, have these same struggles. I think this is a lifetime journey uh, that we go through. Um, so remind yourself, it's more, about just, it's, it's more about just the rules and keeping the commands. It, it's about an identity change. It's about giving up who I am completely um, to be who God wants me to be, to be made in his image, uh, to bear his name well to the people around me. Uh, and that can, that can be a fearful and scary thing. So at times you've got to let go of your what, your lines, your rules, your boundaries, which can be really scary, but it's to invite you deeper to understand God's why and the transformation that he has in your heart. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we had together to explore your word, uh, to talk about uh, marriage, our marriages, to talk about how we break the, the covenant of marriage even within that marriage, how we, we make these, these promises on day one that can be so difficult uh, to keep because we are just imperfect people, God. And so, as always, God, we ask you for your grace, and we, we are sorry. Help us to repent, to turn away from, from the dark places of our hearts, and to be the people that you mean for us to be, the people that you designed us to be from the very beginning. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for the example that he set to, to enable us to be able to do that. Thank you for his forgiveness and the grace and mercy that gives us the confidence to approach you for that transformation, God. God, we know that living as you would like us to live is a difficult task that you've placed before us, and, and we pray that we grow more and more in that task each day, that we grow closer to you in everything that we do. That's your Son's and we pray.